We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 221. I'm not going to lie, I did believe that our guest was, in fact, a dolphin trainer. But it turns out it's a little inside joke because what she does with horses is so incredible. She is based in Western Australia, and she takes her horses on the beach quite often. They get exercise. She lets them off lead, and they get to run free, which I knew we needed to talk about because I am terrified to even let FIFA, my dog, off leash at the beach. But whenever she goes, she is always greeted with a pod of dolphins, which is so, so cool. So I wanted to talk to her a little bit about that and a little bit about the equestrian culture in Australia. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Kate Redmond. I would love to hear how you first found yourself in the horse world. Oh, okay. So I don't come from um, a horse background or a horse family at all. Very non-horsey family, actually. I was lucky enough at a really young age. Oh, I have always loved horses. My mom says I was always horse obsessed from the minute I was born basically um, but I don't think they ever thought that I would end up owning horses because they're not kind of the kind of parents that were could imagine themselves having a horse life I suppose and where we live is really not a horse environment either so um, I was lucky enough that my babysitter when I was quite young I think I was five or six she had horses um, and she introduced me to riding so she would have us in the mornings like early mornings when mum and dad were at work and she would take um, me and my sister to the stables with her and that was sort of how I started riding luckily enough because I don't think my parents would have ever done that for me and then from there it just progressed to the pony club with her a little bit and to my parents finally giving in and allowing me to have my own horse and they sort of had to be slightly involved but I from very very young age uh, was pretty much the sole carer for my my horse so yeah it was um, not the ideal situation but it's kind of made me have to be a super responsible horse owner and yeah be this completely completely responsible for that horse yeah. so it made me learn everything that I had to very very quickly and I don't know I feel like I always had to prove to my parents that I really really wanted it so mm. yeah it made me become a very committed horse owner very very early on so definitely yeah what kind yeah. of um, experience did you have growing up as far as the type of discipline of riding it sort of varied um depending on what kind of horses I had. Like in the beginning, well, from when I was young, it was really just for pleasure, I suppose, as, as you normally do when you start out as a kid. And then as I sort of got some other horses as I got older, I sort of had some sort of freakishly talented horse, like young horses, and they kind of led me down a bit of an eventing path, um, just from instructors seeing the potential in them and then kind of helping us out a little bit. So that kind of 
like, I think I, I was showing first and then I had this kind of tricky horse that didn't really like arena work, um, but she loved to jump. So I sort of had to go down that path to keep her happy, I suppose. And yeah, so I sort of was eventing for quite a few years. Um, and then that, that's probably, that's probably my main love of competing but I've sort of done everything as well so uh, where we live you've got to be very versatile if you want to get your horses out as well otherwise it's traveling or just doing what's on offer really so yeah tell me, tell me a little bit more about the riding culture in your area um, I've never been to Australia it's definitely on my list but it seems <laughs> like the equestrian culture is a bit different. So tell me, give me a little rundown about what you've experienced. Just like the riding culture, the type of disciplines that seem to kind of be um, at the forefront and then just like overall accessibility. Yeah, so I do think it differs a lot to you guys in the US. Um, I've got sort of friends and older instructors that have competed overseas and and also my vet is from she was in the US for eight years so when you hear about how it works over there compared to when they come back home here it's um, very different there's not really a big horse industry here so that doesn't really drive it the same as it does in the states or Europe and that sort of thing so a lot of people just have horses um, and they sort of have them because there's a lot of land in Australia. Lots of people can just have horses sort of scattered all over the place in their own backyards, I suppose. But so where we live is so, the horse community is so, so small. So there's not, there's not really a lot. When I was younger, I used to have to travel to Perth. So the 1600 kilometres to do a competition, um, which is quite a distance. And the it's sort of evolved to more because we have a lot of cattle stations where we are up here uh camp drafting and i think camp drafting is just a really big sport now in australia i don't think they i don't know if they do it over there um not super familiar (laughs) yeah so it's sort of where you um cut out a cow out of a camp and then you've got to get it around and you sort of get a camp score and then you've got to get it around three pegs and two pegs and through a gate and scored on that and on time. Um, so that's really big in our sort of community where we are now that's sort of taken over. Um, and I'm from like more of an English-based discipline. So it's completely the opposite direction to what I've always done. Yeah. Um, but I have a goal at that as well. And it's quite fun. Um, so that is really big in Oz. And But you have the normal, I don't know if you call it eventing over there where it's like three-day eventing. Yes. Do you call it that? Yep. Yeah, you do call it that. Yeah, so that's quite, sorry. No, yeah. So that's quite big. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's quite big here, as well as the, like the show jumping. Um, where I'm staying at the moment, my friend, her daughter is actually in the US um, jumping over there at the moment. So the show jumping is quite big, but in WA I think you've still got to move to the other side of the country if you yeah. want to progress with it. Yeah, tell me tell me a little bit about the like the overall equestrian community and dynamic. And like obviously Australia is huge. So there's you know maybe where you live would be different than, you know, other locations, but I was just curious because I've never been there and 
Um, I didn't know about how accessible it is. It seems like there's lots, there's like pros and cons to it, right? Because you have, it seems like the initial introduction of the sport is very accessible because there's land and there's horses and it's um, pretty reasonable for you to be able to, you know, economically be able to afford um, horses and land. But then if you start uh, maybe like moving up in the sport or wanting to compete, um, maybe that's where there's some limitations. And like you were saying, your your friend's daughter that had to, you know, travel to the U.S. and and other places to be able to compete at a higher level is that that's is that usually kind of the dynamic for for most riders in Australia? Yes, definitely. So you'll find that most top level riders end up moving overseas if they want to continue with the sport. Um, it's just not. I think financially the industry isn't here. So the industry for horses as a whole isn't here. So there's not that financial backing or money to be made to support to support that full time. So there is definitely people that are doing it, but the pool is so much smaller than you would see in the US and especially like they have, you know, the big training barns and that's where people would work and have, um, they would coach and ride and that sort of thing it kind of doesn't happen so much like that on a big scale here and I don't I don't really know why we don't have that industry it just it just doesn't seem to it just doesn't seem to get to that same level for whatever reason we must I don't know Australians just must be into something else (laughs) and the the horses just kind of get pushed off to the pushed off to the side but yeah they always say that anyone that really wants to progress they ha- they just have to go and move overseas which is a huge financial risk and cost as well so yeah yeah getting the horses there for us um at a lower level it's very um there's not a, there's not even a lot where where I am for English at all anymore it sort of comes in waves when I was younger it was quite a big you know, big for such a small area um, following. And now, like I said, it's moved into the camp drafting side of things. And anyone that wants to event, or even when I was younger, when I wanted to event, we just had to travel basically. And uh, to try and give you a picture for, we live in Karatha and the next town, which would only hold maybe one event a year, eventing, that is a 12 hour drive with the horses and then after that is another four hours to the like the capital city which is where the rest of um, the eventing competitions would be so yeah so if you wanted to maybe it's sort of something you can't do every weekend because it's a two-day two-day trip at a minimum to um to get to a comp yeah and that's just normal distance to drive because australia's so big and nothing in but we just don't have anything in between yeah. Wow. That's amazing. As far as your horses, obviously, I'm sure, again, depends on the level. Are most people, most equestrians getting their horses from horses that are already based in Australia? Or are there a lot of, is there a lot of importing happening? Um, there's a lot of imported breeding that happens. So my little um, black mare that I ride, she is from both her parents are imported from Germany. So she's a Hanoverian. Yeah, both her parents she was born here, but both her parents were originally imported. Okay. Um, and I think that that happens a lot. And I guess it depends what, what discipline. Yeah, definitely a lot of imported warm bloods um, come to Australia. But then the Australian stock horses, which is a really big breed in our country, they're obviously all bred here. So 
Um, I guess it depends what discipline you're into and that depends on where the horses come sure. from. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I see on your Instagram, you have a lot of amazing horse pictures. How many horses do you have? Tell me a little bit about them. I own, I had five, I've got four now. I lost one last year, which is very devastating, but I've got four. I have only three that sort of travel with me. One is 34, so she permanently lives down south now. She's too old to live in the Pilbara anymore, so she is retired. Um, And then I've got my two thoroughbreds and my Hanoverian mare. So, yeah, three, three that travel around with me a little bit. And what do you do with those three when you travel? Um, well, where the one of the thoroughbreds, he was one of my old eventer. He's 21 now as well. So I've sort of got these, I feel like I've got these aging horses that, <laughs> that are just aging and I, I sort of just keep, keep them in light work just to yep. keep them going. And then my little Hanoverian mare, which I do everything on her from camp drafting a little bit to a little bit of dressage, a little bit of just show jumping. And I'm yet to get her out eventing, but that is the goal with her is she loves to jump. So we'll eventually, eventually get that happening. So she's only young still. So we've got got plenty of time. Do you have a favorite discipline? Like if you could pick? Definitely eventing still, yeah, even though it feels like forever since I've been to a competition, but it would have to be eventing and mostly for the cross country, yeah, definitely for the nice. definitely for the thrill of the cross country. Um, it looks like, you know, just kind of through your Instagram that you have lots of opportunities to go on, you know, different adventures and experiences. Is there an experience that you've taken recently that really like sticks out in your mind? Oh, definitely the dolphins. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, we need to talk dolphins. dolphins. Dolphin trainer. <laughs> the dolphin trainer. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, and it's been, so I'm down south right now with my horses. So we're in, I'm in Bunbury, which is three hours south of the capital city, Perth, if that makes sense. Um, so a bit further south. And there's, we have beautiful beaches. I always brag about the beaches in the Pilbara, that they're amazing and they're unpopulated and there's nothing like it. And anyway, so I have to go to the beach always. I'm obsessed with the beach. Took the horses to the local uh, horse beach here and never really realised how amazing it was. I come down here a lot. And this pot, well, just swimming, just normal and this huge pod of dolphins of about 20 dolphins came swimming past and said oh my god that's amazing like how how amazing are they and lo and behold they swim up to us and they I've been to that beach four times now and every time the the dolphins come and swim with us and they spend about an hour and they'll just you you can't get rid of them it's almost like you've got fit I don't have fish with me it's not a it's not a (laughs) dream And they would just swim for hours up and down and they would play and jump and come up to the horses and you can pretty much put your hand out and touch them. And just that, that is, that is probably one of the most amazing experiences that I've had multiple times, but every time you're like, how is this, 
how is this even real, really? I am literally yeah. coming and hanging out with you on that. That beach sounds incredible. <laughs> You're welcome to come. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'll take you when you get to Australia. <laughs> uh, I love it. Because, yes, you have been jokingly referenced as the dolphin trainer, <laughs> which you actually <laughs> aren't, but... I feel like, yeah, I feel like that story is amazing. And it's, it's, I did not know that. I mean, essentially, like every time you've been there, that they have been around. I wonder why, because um, it seems like they love the horses, right? They're really, they are, I try to explain it. It's almost like they, it's almost like they are talking to the horses. So they will come right up and, they're not doing, someone said, oh, maybe the horses are stirring something up and they're eating, like they're feeding, but they're not. They're actually really interacting with with the horses, like face-to-face and swimming along. And it's just an unbelievable experience. It's so beautiful, so, so beautiful. I can't even, words don't describe how amazing it is. How do the horses respond? At first, she, at first I was like, oh, my God, she's going, like I was on the young mouse, she's going to absolutely flip, <laughs> flip over because it's not just one dolphin either. It's like 20. <laughs> um, but she, it was almost like she instant, like first time, like she instantly knew that they weren't of any threat to her. So they, she was a little bit, you know, they get a little bit of a side eye, a little bit like, oh, what's what's going on there? But she pretty much within a minute was like, oh, there's there's nothing to be worried about. And she was just as inquisitive about them and had her nose right out trying to touch them and follow them along. And it was, yeah, she's just happy to play. It's like they're all playing. It's amazing. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think I spend more time focusing on my animal's nutrition than my own. Since 1985, with roots dating back to 1842, Mana Pro has been committed to providing high-quality, nutritionally wholesome feeds, supplements, and treats for your animals. As a company comprised of animal lovers just like us, Mana Pro understands the desire to provide your animals with the very best. Their passion is happy, healthy pets, and they are the trusted partner in providing just that. If you haven't checked out Mana Pro before, make sure you do. Their website is manapro.com, M-A-N-N-A-P-R-O.com. I get all of my treats there. My horses absolutely love them, but they have other stuff for other animals, not just for horses. So make sure you go check them out. They are absolutely incredible. So thank you so much, Mana Pro. All right, let's get back to the episode. Kind of looking ahead, are some of your riding goals uh, for you and your mayor or, um, you know, horses that you have or things that you want to do with your riding? Yeah, so definitely when I get the time to do the traveling again, definitely get that young mare out of venting. Yeah, she really, I don't like to say the horses need to get out because I don't think that they really I don't think that they really care as much as we think that they care when you go, oh, they're super talented, they should be doing this. But mm. I think she's just as happy riding at the beach with the dolphins, to be honest. Sure. But for me, <laughs> for me, um, yes, I would love to be able to set some goals and go go do some um, eventing competitions down here with her in the next probably six to 12 months and just really get around a cross-country course, I suppose, just for, just for the fun of it, if not for anything else. Um, yeah, she loves to shit and she loves to jump. So it would be nice to get her out and 
do do an actual course properly on her. Where the horses stay, like home base, what is the riding situation like there? Or is travel completely necessary to be able to get the horses exercise? Um, I do exercise mine a lot at the beach. When I had when I had the four and I had probably three in work, I used to take them to the beach because it was easier to get them all worked at once. So I would just load them up and I normally just <laughs> I normally just ride one and I let the others off and they just um, follow. No <laughs> so I'll just walk them cool. through the water. Yeah, yeah. I know people can't believe that either most of the time. They're like, just let them. I'm like, yeah, they're pretty, they're good. They just, they know what to do. So we just sort of go for a bit of a canter at the beach and then we'll wade them through the water up and down. Um, The beach is really, it's a beautiful beach as well. So we can, the tide comes in and out. So you can sort of pick your times if you want them to do sort of, um, you know, work only up to the knee or up to the fetlocks and work them that sort of way through the, almost like water therapy really. So I work them probably three times a week like that at the beach. And then at home I do have a dressage arena and um, a jumping arena as well. So we can sort of work them at home. Um, And I do do a lot of just work in the bush with them as well. We have so much, so much space um, that I've just learned to incorporate trail riding and working them out on the trails into, into our normal work routine as well. Definitely. That's so cool about having them loose. You know, I feel like (laughs) that's, I feel like that's so crazy. I, I have not experienced that, but I had to experience taking my dog off leash for the first time. And it's kind of like ripping a (laughs) bandaid where you're like, I hope you come back. (laughs) What was that? Like, what have your, have your horses all been, have they been pretty easy or have like understood right away that, that's the deal or like have you ha- do you have any like stories mm. around that kind of transition of getting them used to the beach I've had a couple of sticky situations with them and I normally always say they're pretty reliable but they're obviously they still have a mind of their own yeah. um, nine times out of ten they're good but there is that one out of ten that they're not so good so a couple of times I've had a chopper fly down really, really close to us and spray us with um, sand uh. and they all took off that day and I lost them right out in the bush and we had to unhook the trailer and get the car and go and find them. No way. Yeah, that was pretty, that was interesting. You sort of know that you, you'll find them eventually, I guess. Um, and oh, is there another... Oh, and then when the little warm blood was about, oh yeah, when she was really young, I think she was only about a year old, her first, you, you always forget when you go to the beach so much that a horse may have never actually experienced the ocean. So yeah. we were riding and I had her on lead. It was the first time and we came over the, came over the sand dune and she just saw the water and this does happen a fair bit. She just saw the ocean and just completely, and I wasn't <laughs> ready for her and I lost her and she took off in the opposite direction I'm like oh my god I've just lost my baby I've lost my baby horse so I had to go and yeah go find her out in the bush somewhere wow other than that they're pretty pretty it's like it's like that is worth 
what they get to experience and what you get to experience because it sounds, yes. I mean, it sounds incredible and it, it sounds like it, I'm sure it is. So, I mean, it's so good for their body. It's so good for their mind. Um, and it's good for you too. So I just, I feel like that is, I live near the beach um, in Florida and there are certain places, obviously it's a, probably a lot more busy than what you experience with your beaches, but there yes. are places where you can bring your horses. And I've, oh, I've thought like every year I'm like this year, I'm going to take my horse this year. I'm going to take a horse. And so I need to just do it. But yeah, it's, I feel like for oh. first timers, do you have any tips or advice for what you would do um, for bringing your horse or horses to the beach for the first time? So I feel like I should probably offer a bit more responsible advice than what I do. Let them um, go, see what happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like you said, it is so worth it once you realise that they're going to come back, but you do have to take that risk. I think that obviously making sure, and I'm sure your horses are all well-trained anyways, making sure that they are responsive um, before even taking them there that you know that you're going to be able to control them and that you're going to be able to lower that energy that they could possibly have being in a new environment and a new space first before getting there I'm the kind of person that likes to do everything on a horse's back I don't like to be on the ground I find that I'm in much more control over them and a better connection when I'm on them than when I'm leading them so I would always get just straight on and ride into the water um whereas i know lots of other people will just sort of lead lead them in um i don't know i think it's just feeling what your horse needs at that time some horses yeah like a rider and some horses would prefer you to actually walk in and show them the water first and i feel like most of the time though horses are fine like if they've grown up on a farm and they've had a dam or they've like most horses actually do like mm -hmm. the water um, I don't, I haven't, I haven't had one that's ever been scared and I've had a couple that have probably never seen it, but then, you know, as soon as it's, as soon as they've gotten in that first time, they've completely fine with it from there on. Yeah. Like a dog, I guess if it has a good first experience. It's yeah. going to love it from, from the, totally. well, yeah, <laughs> it is, it is my dog's favorite place to be for sure. <laughs> But she Your also dog's so cute, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. She's very high energy, so she needs. And it's uh, we could take her on runs every day, walks every day. It doesn't do. We don't go fast enough for it to like put a dent in what she needs. So letting her loose on the beach where she can just like zoom around at full speed, she needs that. Do do your horses? Um, do you ever let? Are you ever like galloping with it? Like, are there some that like feel like they need that, um, or are they just? hanging out, playing in the water. No, they definitely need that. They definitely, so I know, <laughs> I normally time, I normally time the times that I take them there. It's not a very isolated place where we live anyway, but weekends can still be busy at the beach. It is, it's a shared public beach. So yeah. normally I get there super early with them and I just let them off and they will just gallop themselves and they just like to get it all out. They'll go for a run up and down, up and down, play, and then they normally have about 15 minutes of that and then they're done. And it's like, all right, guys, now it's time to do your actual, your actual work for your, body, <laughs> for your bodies. Wow. But they do, they have to get that out first. Yeah, they love it. Oh, that is so cute. Oh, I love that. Do you, have, do you have video of that, like, initial galloping playtime? Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, there would definitely be some videos on my Instagram of that. Yeah. Oh, I love it. What is your Instagram <laughs> account for people who want to, who are listening that want to follow? Uh, it is my Pilbara Equestrian Life, just all one word. And how do you spell that? Uh, M-Y-P-I-L-B-A-R-A. Equestrian Life. Amazing. Equestrian Life. Uh, so cool. I Yeah, I feel like you have so many fun adventures and it's going to get everyone wanting to come to Australia and hang out. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good, it is a very, very fun place to have horses if you can be bothered getting them, getting them out and about, definitely. Tell me a little bit about an area of the equestrian industry that you're passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? Yeah, so I guess coming from a not a very big, like it's not a big equestrian community where I have come from, um, but being a super passionate horse owner and equestrian, um, I feel like I run into a lot of blocks where people just don't have or whether it's Australia I'm not sure just don't have that bigger understanding about horses I don't know like if it's not mainstream welfare of the horse or for example um like I've got so two, two I've had two horses with a heat related issues which veterinary I guess like not mainstream veterinary science doesn't have an answer for so yeah, I've got two that have had heat-related issues like an anhydrosis, which I also think needs a lot more studies done in it because it's – you probably run into it in Florida there, do you? Yes. Mm-hmm. With the um, humidity. Yeah, so we have that same problem where we live because it's hot, really hot, um, and can be really humid at times. So over here, when I first – realized that my horse had a, I'd never encountered it before I'd never even heard of it before and then I felt like I was really alone and still it's probably been 15 years since or probably 10 years since he was diagnosed with it mm. that there still isn't a lot of understanding around it and I also feel that there's not a lot of empathy towards the horses that do have it from a lot of people it's debilitating it is a welfare issue for a horse that has it in my eyes um and it kind of just gets ignored and just not understood. I guess it gets ignored because it's not understood. So I, I think those sort of not mainstream issues, well, they're not mainstream in our country. They might be a bit more over there because my vet worked in America and she's really big on it. Um, whereas you come over here and people just go, oh, there's not really anything you can do. We don't know. Just kind of just throw your hands up in the air about it as opposed to trying to get to the bottom of it or understand it or even try and help the horse more so so yeah I guess there's quite I've encountered I feel like I get all the horses with all the problems all the weird problems so <laughs> that's what, so I feel like I have all of those weird things and I go why doesn't anyone know about this and you talk to people and they're like oh, I wouldn't even worry about that and I go oh but how, how can you not worry yeah. how do you not worry about that your horses you know my horse is suffering and which means there'd be plenty of other horses out there suffering in silence over it. So how did you, um, how did you end up finding out what it was? Was it through your vet? No. So where we live also, we don't have any equine vets um, at all. So that's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a very different, it is a very different world um, that we live in with our horses. So I, 
I don't, I can't remember. I just knew that there was something wrong with him. I remember he was sweating normally and then all of a sudden he wasn't sweating normally and he was puffing and I thought, oh my God, my, like he's sick and it went on and on. And I think it was just through maybe Google. This is before Facebook was really even a thing. Um, so I think I just started Googling um, you know, his symptoms and I kind of come across that. I was like, it has to be, it has to be this. And then I sort of put me on this big search of trying to fix him. And it wasn't until, it was probably five years later, I met my um, alternative vet and she was from Texas and she and she does acupuncture and she actually treats horses for it. So she was like, yeah, yeah, it's this, um, it's this, this and this and we can do this, this and this for him basically. So that gave me a real... I guess, a proper understanding around it. But, yeah, I, I try and explain that now to people and they kind of look at you like you've got two heads, <laughs> that it's even a, even a thing. So you sort of met with this because it's not, um, not mainstream. Yeah, right. it's almost like it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And it's something so. that, I mean, just like anything else that is mainstream as far as things that our horses experience, that it's so important to, as as horse owners and horse lovers and advocates that we really find every possible way um, or, you know, any type of alternative to make sure that our horses are happy and healthy. And even some, you know, it's hard because I think sometimes people just look at, well, are the are the feet and legs healthy? Is the horse sound? Is the horse, as long as the horse isn't limping, like, you know, you don't always look at all of the other, maybe more like hormonal or metabolic or, you know, the other things that really keep a horse happy and healthy. Um, So yeah, I think that it's as a horse owner, good on you that you really took the time to do the research and found the right person that understands it and knows it and can treat it. Because now, I mean, your horse is able to you know, live, uh, you know, a relatively like normal life and, and keep doing the things he loves. And so where that might not have been the case, if you would have, you know, just kind of ignored the problem. Yeah, definitely. He's, they, they still definitely, it's kind of a disorder where I don't think, well, I think some, I don't know what it is, whether some horses that can be cured. I do know of other Mm -hmm. horses that have been cured. He's managed, um, to a level of you know, being manageable, I actually, that's why they come down um, south. So I still move them south for the most of the hottest months. Right. But yes, without that, I don't think, without having been able to find a management plan for getting a diagnosis and then getting a management plan for him, that he would even be able to spend any time up there whatsoever because he just suffered so badly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and like you said, I do believe the metabolic issues, the hormonal, the hormonal issues is another massive one totally. in theirs. I've had to deal with that twice as well. So, and there's not a lot of understanding or empathy around that a lot of the time. Um, yeah, I wish that was mainstream. All of that I wish was mm-hmm. just a mainstream veterinary uh, science pretty much. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think that will as the more and more people can talk about it and discuss it. And even just, I mean, a lot of it has to do with people experiencing it firsthand for there to, you know, start having more conversations about it. It's definitely a big part of culture here in the United States. And I think it's just because a lot of horses are like older horses. Um, And so having to really, you know, be able to navigate that, that there are like treatable options that horses can still 
um, you know, have jobs and be happy and be in work and things like that, where um, maybe when it was kind of like initially talked about, it was kind of like, oh, the horse needs to retire now. The, the horse is done with its career or anything it can do. And so I feel like there's been some moving of the needle to to communicate with it more. But yeah, I think especially like where you are, where you don't have a ton of uh, easy access to vet and vet care that, yeah, the, the conversations just need to keep happening to be able to understand that that's the reality for lots of horses. Yes. Yes, it's rising awareness, really, isn't it? Definitely. Uh, well, Kate, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast across the world. Um, it's been so fun chatting with <laughs> you and learning about your story. I think what you do for yourself and your horses, um, like traveling around and, and being able to experience these things is so fun and inspiring. And um, I know it's got to be healthy for your heart and healthy for your horses. And so I just think it's so fun to watch your journey and I wish you all the best. Thank you, Bethany. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.